Good morning. I hope you're all well and have had a good week as we come this morning to the next chapter in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. We've had chapter 3 read to us and the title that we're going to be thinking about is The Gospel Brings Real Life. Uh, do you do you remember the advert that uh, Rob Bryden did with with the cruise ship? Uh, he takes us through all the great things that, about the cruise, and and at the end he's seen reclining uh, on a lounger chair at the back of the boat, and and he's typically got a glass in his hand, and he says, "This is the life." As I looked through chapter 3 of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, I thought, you know what, this chapter has got that feel about it. This is the life. It oozes with life. The news of, of God in Christ, who came to reconcile a sinful people to himself through the death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection, and his empowering us by his Holy Spirit to be his witnesses, looking forward to the return of Jesus to take his people, his followers, those who are Christians, to be with him forever. This is real life. So as we look at this chapter together, let let me just say a prayer, saying thank you, Father God, for your word. Thank you for the truths that we are unpacking as we go through Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Thank you for the encouragements, for the challenges. And we pray that as we look at this chapter this morning, Lord, that you will help us, that we will be good listeners and good doers of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a quick read through this chapter. It gives us words and phrases that are a vital part of this life that the good news brings. Faith, love, joy, God's family, co-workers in God's service, spreading the good news about Jesus, Fellowship, encouragement, the return of Jesus, persecution, praise and prayer. That's just for starters. This is real life that we can have as we come to know Jesus and as we follow him day by day. Let's unpack this chapter This life is seen in three aspects. Firstly, a concern for fellow Christians in verses 1 to 5. You will remember that Paul had been hurried away from Thessalonica, taken to Berea, and then he went on to Athens. And initially we find him on his own. Timothy and Silas had stayed in Berea, although Paul had left a message for them to join him as soon as possible. Some think that they both joined him in uh, Athens, but only Timothy is mentioned here. We know that they both joined him when he arrived in Corinth. Notice how Paul describes Timothy. 
three things he says about him. First of all, he says, our brother. There's a family connection as Christians. Then he talks about him as a co-worker in God's service, spreading the gospel of Christ. He's a hard worker. He's got a message of life that he wants to share with other people. If you go back to uh, Paul's first letter to Timothy, and in the very second verse, he refers to Timothy as my true son in the faith. It's as if Timothy and Paul had come together as Timothy becomes a Christian under the ministry of Paul. And now they're working together to bring this life and to encourage churches in this life uh, as they go around from place to place. What are Paul's concerns for the Christians in Thessalonica? Firstly, he wants to strengthen and to encourage them in their faith. And that is such an important aspect of being a Christian. That is such an important aspect of church life and church ministry. That is such an important aspect, particularly today, when we can't meet as we would love to, to be able to strengthen and to encourage each other in our faith. Our faith is real. It's exciting. It's dynamic. But let's be honest, it's a struggle. And what Paul is saying to these Christians in Thessalonica, I want to encourage you. I want to build you up. I want to excite you in this faith. But he also wants to warn them about the trials and tribulations of their life in Christ. And linked with that, he wants to guard them against the activities of Satan, who is the enemy of God's people because he's always out to destroy the faith of Christians. The Christian life is not easy. It's not lived out on a lounger at the back of a cruise ship. It's tough. But Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, it's okay. Let's work together on this. Let's encourage each other. Let's strengthen each other. But let's, let's remember that it's not an easy path that we're on. Secondly, Paul wants to celebrate encouragements that he's getting. Because when Timothy comes back, and we have this in verses 6 to 10, when Timothy comes back from Thessalonica, he comes with good news. Now, let me just... Let me just pause a bit and think, what's the distance from Athens to Thessalonica? Paul's in Athens and he's sending Timothy to Thessalonica. Well, I googled it. And it's about 500 kilometers, which is about 310 miles. And then, when I googled it, it made some suggestions about my travel itinerary. 40 minutes by plane. Four to six hours by train more than six hours by bus. So I could make it in a day. But wait a minute. Timothy didn't have such access to transport. It was either walking or maybe going up the coast by boat and stopping off and then walking the rest. So if you reckon that we do three, maybe four miles an hour on average, then that would have taken probably four days, three to four days there, three to four days back. But that's if you don't stop 
So I, I reckon that Timothy probably was away for at least 10 days. I wonder what Paul was feeling. Because there was no access to the phone or, or, or to WhatsApp or anything like that. He had to wait. But it was worth it. Because when Timothy arrives back in Athens, you can, you can imagine Paul saying, come on, tell me all about it. And Timothy's probably saying to him, Paul, dear brother, just, just calm down. Let, let me go stage by stage. And what's he saying to, to Paul? What's this report that he's giving to, to, to Paul? First of all, he's telling Paul that when I come back from Thessalonica, I'm coming back with this thing that, that, that whereas we were fearful of them before, now we can celebrate their faith. Their faith, that is their relationship with God. We can celebrate their love, their relationship with others, both Christians and non-Christians. We can celebrate their longing because they actually want to see us. And so there's a celebration of the relationship we have with them, even though we're away from them. So there are celebrations of fear to faith, which leads me to the conclusion that there is joy in Christian fellowship. Timothy then goes on to say to Paul, we were perhaps despairing as to what was happening. We wanted to see them, we longed to see them, as, as we've got in the previous chapter, which we looked at last week. And so there was a, a bit of despair. They, they, they couldn't really wait to hear. They, they couldn't wait to go, but, but they, they couldn't go. And they couldn't wait to hear. Now, says Timothy, that desperation turns to encouragements. Why? Because their faith is alive. It's real. It's active. They're okay. And their faith is growing. And their standing firm also was an encouragement. They're not being tossed around by every different type of doctrine, believing this and then believing that and thinking about this and thinking about that. No, they're, they're, they're remaining solid on the Word of God. They're, they are standing firm, and that's a great encouragement. No wonder Paul could say, now we really live. You see, the Gospel is good news that brings life, and that life is within us as we hear reports from other people as to how they're getting on. We can live together, even though we are apart at the moment. So to me, there's not any joy in Christian fellowship, there's hope in Christian fellowship. And we look forward to the extension of that hope when we're able to get back together. The third encouragement that Timothy brings back to Paul is, whereas before they seemed to be a bit isolated, and in truth, we were isolated from them, so we weren't getting any reports, but that isolation has turned to blessings in verses 9 to 10. And this is where Paul is beginning to, to, to lift his eyes up to heaven and say, thank you, God, for these encouragements. Thank you for the, these celebrations and thank you Lord for these blessings that you are giving to the people, the Christians in Thessalonica, which are now coming to us as we hear reports from Timothy. 
Thanks be to God, he's saying, what joy we have. What joy we have that their faith is growing. What joy we have that they're standing firm in Christ. What joy we have in their love for each other and for others. Thanks be to God that you are keeping them safe, even though we, we really want to see them, we long to see them. Thanks be to God that they are standing firm, but we want to help them to build up their faith so that that solid rock on which they are standing doesn't move at all. And this then leads Paul and Timothy, no doubt, the challenge to pray in verses 11 to 13. He's giving thanks to God for the blessings, but he's also praying to God. And, and, and he says, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you. And we want to supply what is lacking in your faith. That sounds a bit negative, but it isn't. We all need to fill the gaps in our faith. None of us have arrived. There are always aspects of our faith that we need to grow and to develop, to make sure that it's rooted and grounded in the Scriptures, to make sure that it's rooted and grounded in God and in his Son, Jesus Christ. And in the next two chapters, uh, when we look at them in, in the next weeks, you'll see what Paul is trying to do is to build them up in their faith, to encourage them in that faith. And his prayer is, God, please, can we see them? Can we meet up somewhere, somehow? We don't know whether they did, but that's his longing to be able to see them. And then his prayer is for them that their love will overflow to fellow Christians and to others. Don't keep that love just for yourself and just for those who are on the same side, if you like. Spread that love out to other people so that other people will come into the family of God because of your love. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said to his disciples in John 13, verse 35, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And thirdly, his prayer for the Thessalonian Christians is, God, will you make their hearts strong so that they can stand firm in, in their minds, in their emotions, in their thinking, in their faith. That was Paul's prayer, which we've got in his second letter in chapter 2, when he says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. What was the outcome of Paul's praying for the Thessalonian Christians? It was this, that you may be blameless 
and holy. Now, blameless is not perfection, because none of us are perfect. But if we think about the work of Jesus on the cross, we are forgiven. We are justified, just as if we had never sinned. And we are being sanctified. It's an ongoing work. We are being sanctified, and we are looking forward to the return of Jesus to take his church, his people, to himself, to be with him forever. So to be blameless is that people can't throw arrows at us because of this or that or the other. We're forgiven. And God makes a promise that your sins and your iniquities I will remember no more. So blameless and holy. To be set apart by God for God. That's how Paul opens his letter to the Ephesians when he writes in chapter 1, God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world that we might be holy and blameless in his sight. It wasn't something that he suddenly thought up. It's something that he planned from before the foundation of the world. That you and I as Christians should be blameless and holy. And this is the work of the Spirit of God who lives in the believer. So how do we apply all this to today? Are you living? Or are you just existing? How's your faith? How's your love? How's your hope? How's your fellowship? tough, isn't it? We talk about living, and yet we see all around us the death toll from the virus. We talk about faith, and we cry out, God, are you there? Is anybody there? We talk about hope, and we ask, where is it? Where do I find it? We talk about fellowship, but we feel isolated. Don't give up. For God is there. God is here. He came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all. He came where we are, so that we might go to where he is. Remember what Jesus said? I have come that you may have life, and have it to the full. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you have not left us on our own to muddle through in our Christian lives. And so we pray for each other, Lord, that you will help us to stand firm, to love you, to love one another, and to know that we have your life within us. And we pray that you will help us to reach out to other people so that we will show them this life, not necessarily by what we say, but by who we are, so that others will be attracted to you and come to know this life for themselves. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name.
Amen.